I love you guys. Have a great day, okay? Lock in to listen to what we're going to talk about today because we're going to talk a little bit about Simon. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 8. We're in a sermon series called Church on the Move. And today in Acts chapter 8, the church really does start moving in some pretty significant ways. And we want to look at that together. Before I dive into that, tonight I'm excited because I'm going to get to start um, meeting with our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. We call that MXCV. Those are Roman numerals for the number 1,095. Because from 10th grade, you have 1,095 days, roughly, of high school. And we want to help our students live with intentionality and purpose across those 1,095 days. So we're starting tonight, 6 o'clock. I'd love to have our students here with me. Uh, if you've got 10th, 11th, 12th graders or you know people that are, 6 o'clock, we'll be out in the student center tonight. Wednesday night, boys and girls, we're back. Mission friends and our elementary school kids, junior high, 6th, 7th, 8th, fresh. They're back on Wednesday night. Parents, parent powwow. Man, how I have missed parent powwows on Wednesday night, but we're getting that back going this Wednesday night, so kind of creeping back into normal, okay? So I know it's sort of a slow roll. I know we're in the middle of a crazy time right now, uh, but you uh, make those wise decisions for you and for your family, and as I look around, I see more masks, and some people are staying home, and so listen, you got to sort that out, all right, and seek the Lord and let Him guide you as to what is best for you and your family. You're, you're not in somebody else's family. They got different set of circumstances than you have, okay? So you just walk in that and whatever, if there's any way possible that you can be here and be relaxed, whatever it takes for you to do that, all right? And that, for me, that means um, my coffee and a candy bar, and then I'm better relaxed. So whatever you need to do, all right, for masking up to a Snickers, just, all right, we good? Y'all in Acts chapter 8? Can we have a little Bible study today? Let's do. As we study the Word of God, let's encounter the God of the Word. All right? So Acts chapter 8 is where we are, and it is the church on the move, and that really does start moving now today when we get to chapter 8. Last week, we looked at the story of Stephen. Stephen's considered to be the first martyr of the Christian church. He died because of his faith in Jesus, because of his preaching of the gospel, a violent, angry crowd. Last week, we saw them drag him out of the city and then execute him, murder him by stoning. And one interesting footnote that we bumped into last week in chapter 7 is as they were doing that, they were taking off their coats and they were laying them down at the feet of a man by the name of Saul. And we want to pick up the action there today. In chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came, and they buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. If, if you're mindful today of the violence that Afghanistan is experiencing and the Taliban moving into places there, um, I don't know that it's a far stretch to say you, you need to sort of think about Saul here 
as you might think of a member of the Taliban or, or, or maybe of ISIS. He is terrorizing people because of their faith in Jesus, going house to house, dragging out both men and women. This is heinous and it's violent. It's a bad scene. It is the murder of Stephen that has really now emboldened people like Saul to come against the followers of Jesus and the message of the gospel that they're proclaiming. Persecution of the followers of Jesus is now beginning to explode in chapter 8, and it is led by this one individual by the name of Saul. And he is like a bloodhound on the trail of any follower of Jesus that he could find. But as always is the case, and here's good news for all of us today, this is always the case for the people of God. What Satan intends for evil, God uses for our good. Romans 8 says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This great persecution against the followers of Christ, watch this, did not make them cave in. No, no. It only served to make them go out. What Satan had intended for evil, God is now using for good. They are now scattering with the message of the gospel outside of Jerusalem, beyond Jerusalem, to Judea, the Bible says, and even to Samaria. This is the beginning of the church going viral. This is why we call this sermon series Church on the Move, and it really took us eight chapters to get to that place where you see, oh yeah, this is a movement now. This is not just a gathering that's static. This is a movement that is going forth. The persecution did not stop. God's mission for his church. Just let me remind you, the hard times you and I may be facing today, that's not going to stop God's mission for his church either. Those hard times in the first century didn't stop God's mission for his church. Instead, all of that, that persecution only served as the catalyst to take the gospel further and further to more and more people around the world. Listen, the world was a hard place. In the first century. And the world's a hard place in the 21st century. But God was on the move in the first, and God's on the move in the 21st. And the cool thing is, you and I, as God's people, we get to be a part of it now. And so the believers, they're scattering, and the, the gospel is expanding in its coverage. But notice this in verse 8, and we'll, we'll get to that on the screen in a moment, but if you've got your Bible in front of you, you can. Just kind of scan down to verse 8. You'll see this. The people are scattering. The Christians are scattering, but not the apostles. They don't scatter. They stay there in Jerusalem. So we have persecution, and we have this scattering, and that brings us to verse 4. And I want to look at verses 4 through 8, and I'm going to point out four J's. All right, for you note takers, here you go. Just go ahead and write your four J's in your column, and I'll... Help you fill in those as we go along. But this is sort of how it caught my attention as I worked through this this week. So let me share these four J's with you here. The first J is Joes. J-O-E-S. Let me explain. Verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
These are just the Joes. These are just average, ordinary followers of Jesus who now, because of the persecution that's happening in Jerusalem, they're scattering. They're going all over the place now to Judea and Samaria. These are not the pros. These are not the apostles that are scattering, taking the gospel throughout the region now. The apostles are still there in Jerusalem. They're anchoring down the, the mother church so to speak. These are the Joes, just ordinary Christians, like the people that I'm looking at out here in front of me. They're just faithfully going out to share and to show the love of Jesus with everybody that they could. That's a good reminder for all of us today, especially those of you who aren't paid to serve the Lord like I am. You might say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the pro. doesn't always appear that way, but that's Theoretically, what's supposed to be happening? That makes you guys the Joes. Well, it's the Joes that take the church on the move. It's the Joes in Acts chapter 8 that leave their world behind. And they go and they gladly share the good news of the gospel wherever Jesus may take them. It's not just a job for the pros. Sharing the gospel is... For all of us as followers of Jesus. So we have the Joes, second J, we have Jesus. He's what they're preaching about, right? Verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel of Jesus? It's simply this, God so loved this old broken world. A world that he created perfect, but sin broke it. And yet God still loved us. So much so that he sent his only son into this world, that whoever, that's a big word, right? Think about that. Whoever, even a guy like Saul, a terrorist like Saul, that whosoever would believe in him, to believe what in him, about him, that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he died on the cross to reconcile sinners to a holy God. That whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message of Jesus that the Joes are taking to the entire world. And that brings us to the third J. You got Joes, and you got Jesus, and the result of that is you got joy. Look at verse 5. Philip, for example, he's one of those Joes. He was a deacon. Philip's one of those seven men selected in Acts chapter 6 to be a deacon. He went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Verse 6, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. Joe's. Taking the message of Jesus to all these places resulted in great joy in those cities. Don't we need that kind of move of God in our world today? Just ordinary Joes. Plumbers and teachers and moms and dads and coal miners and mill workers who just love Jesus. Who everywhere they go... 
They're showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And entire cities are becoming filled with joy. That's what our world needs today. Bessemer needs to be filled with joy. Think of that. Seattle needs to be filled with joy. D.C., New York. Listen, there's no government program that's going to deliver that. There's no secular means that's going to deliver that. It's you, Joe, and me. As we take the message of Jesus, places will be filled with joy. That's what's happening here. What Satan had intended for evil, you see it, God's using it for good. The message is going out. Lives are being changed. One more J real quick. This is not the end of the sermon. I got a second sermon. Maybe three sermons today. I'm about to be done with the first sermon. Fourth J. You know, I was, I was out for a minute, so I'm back. All right, we're going to make over some lost time. Y'all did miss me for a minute, but not so much now, right? One more J. We got Joes. We got Jesus. We got joy. And then joining together. See, here's the amazing thing about what's happening here in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and these ordinary Joes who are Jews, by the way. These are Jewish Joes. And they go to Samaria. And they're showing and sharing the love of Jesus in Samaria. And here's what's interesting about that. Jews ordinarily would go way out of their way to avoid Samaria. There was a long history of hatred and animosity and bigotry and racism between these couple of people groups. But that old, bigoted, racist mindset that had strangled these people groups for so long has now been replaced by the power and the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now in Acts chapter 8, you have this beautiful joining together of people who once were enemies, but now they are one together in Jesus. Listen, I know this is a hot topic in our world today, but let's be clear. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has done that. The barrier has been torn down so that we might be one together in him. There is nothing in this world that can overcome years of hurt and mistrust between people except the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what have we seen so far in chapter 8? Persecution didn't make the church cave in. It just was the catalyst to push them further out. And we see regular Joes taking the message of Jesus to all these places. And those places are filled with joy. And we see this beautiful joining together of people groups within the family of God. And that brings us to verse 9. Y'all still want to do a little more Bible study? All right, let's go. Verse 9. A man named, say it, boys and girls. Simon. Simon. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer. You might say uh, maybe a magician. He had been in that city of Samaria for many years, well established, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one. He was the goat. Simon was the goat in Samaria. As far as they were concerned, he was the greatest of all time. They called him the great one. They called him the power of God. 
Verse 11 says they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news, the gospel, concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Connect the dots, y'all. That's not good for Simon's business, is it? That's not good news for his enterprise. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Hello. And he began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, Gentiles, right? They had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon, we're going to go to verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. What, what, what is Stephen interested in here? He's interested in his business. There, there's a new power that's come to town, a competing power, and he wants to buy some shares in that. He says, let me have this power too, so that when I lay my hands on people... They will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. In other words, Peter said, I can see that you're not on our team. You want to compete with God and with what God is doing in this place. And he says, verse 24, Simon says, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. And after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Now listen, we need to have a conversation about this man by the name of Simon. And this conversation might make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because here's what we have. We have a man that the Bible says he believed, he was baptized, he joins himself, to the people of God. He's following Philip wherever he goes. But the indication of what's happening in chapter 8 is this. He did all of that, but he was not born again. He, was, he wasn't saved. Is that possible? Is it possible that a, a person can hear the gospel and believe the gospel? By the way, just sort of reminds you that the demons have a stronger belief in the gospel than in any of us. 
Is it possible that you can hear the gospel? You can believe the gospel? You can even be baptized? You can join yourself to the people of God and wherever they go, you go. Is it possible that you can do all that stuff and still be lost? I would submit to you today, not only is that possible, but especially where you and I live down here in the Bible Belt, that is prevalent. It's prevalent. A lot of people have had a religious experience And they've done a lot of religious things. They talked a good talk and they seemed at least to walk the right walk. But in the end, it's not real. It's not genuine. It wasn't a saving faith in their life. In the story of Simon, for him, I see two main issues that kept him from true salvation. And it's important that we see that because there's a really strong opportunity that there's people in this room today, you yourself, or perhaps people you know, friends or family, acquaintances, that these same two issues are what are keeping them from a genuine faith, a real salvation. Let me show you what these two things are. Number one, an inflated view of self. Simon had a really inflated view of himself, and I think that was what was contributing to him not truly being saved. Look at verse 9. We we, we read it. Let's read it again. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria, and what does he say about himself? I'm great. I'm the goat. I am Mr. Samaria. Everybody looked to me. Everybody listened to me. And they did that. Everyone from the least to the greatest did that. And they called him the great one, the power of God. History, not just the Bible, but outside of the Bible, we have writers of ancient history who write about Simon. These history, uh, historical figures who, who tell us this, tell us that Simon was very instrumental in a false teaching that really dominated the first 300 years of the church. This movement of this false teaching is called Gnosticism. In fact, I I sort of lean toward believing it was this encounter that Simon has with Philip and with Christians in his hearing of the gospel in Acts chapter 8 that contributed to the formation of Gnosticism. Because Gnosticism sought to kind of blend false teaching in with some biblical teaching and some gospel teaching. And so I think the story of Simon is sort of given to us as a background to help us understand some of the issues the Apostle Paul, we're going to get to that story, Saul, right? We'll get to that later. But by having this little backdrop here on Simon, it helps us understand a little bit better some of the challenges that Paul's going to face in some of the local churches down the road. So, When we get to Acts chapter 8, Simon is already this influential leader in Samaria. Think cult leader, all right? That that might help you think about Simon in a more clear way. Verse 9 says that he claimed to be somebody great. Listen, if you have that kind of inflated view of yourself, it's going to be impossible for you 
to recognize your need for a Savior. And this is Simon's problem. He had this inflated view of himself, and that kept him from being born again. It kept him from humbling himself and admitting to God, I am a sinner. I am broken. And I am in need of a Savior. It's that same inflated view of self that's keeping so many people out of the kingdom of heaven today. My self-worth. My importance. Who I am. That's the drumbeat of the world that we live in today, isn't it? Everybody is revolving around self. I'm special. I'm great. And you should celebrate me. You should applaud me. You should affirm me in all the varied ways that I choose to express myself, right? Now, I'm not trying to be critical here, but I'm saying that as long as people remain locked down in pride, and we just had a whole month dedicated to pride, and I'm not picking on that one particular thing, but I'm saying how ironic, but that's the drumbeat of our world. It's me, it's self, it's affirmation, it's celebration of who I am, and as long as these people, as long as any of us stay locked in pride, refusing to admit that we're broken, that we're sinners, that we're weak, and that we're lost, we will never see our need for a Savior. That inflated view of self was a barrier to keep Simon from Jesus. That inflated view of self is the same barrier that's keeping a lot of people from Jesus today. Listen, let's be clear. Jesus never says, celebrate yourself. Does he? In fact, he says, you want to follow me, Deny self and take up your cross and follow me. Church, I want to encourage you today with something. I, I think that the church today has sort of bought into this idea that there's an 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment is be nice. Don't talk about sin. Don't, don't offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want to be clear. You are not being nice to people when you know they are believing a lie. It is not nice. To let people believe a lie. To not speak up and lovingly and kindly and respectfully share the truth of God's word with those people. Patting people on the back while they run as fast as they can to an eternal hell is not being nice to somebody. Telling them what they want to hear. Or not saying anything at all. That is not being nice. The nicest thing that you can say to somebody is 
you speak up and you say, I want you to know God loves you. He made you. He created you. And he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. And I don't know if you know this, but there was somebody in my life at one point, they loved me enough to tell me this, and I love you enough, I'm going to tell you this, you're a sinner. We all are. And your sin and my sin, it separates us from your creator. And there's only one way to be reconciled to your creator. It's not religion. Not religious doing and acts and stuff like that. We see that in Simon today. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ. Believing that he is the only son of God. That he lived a perfect sinless life. That he might take your place and my place and die for your sin and my sin at the cross. And he did that. And God raised him from the dead. And God loves you so much. Today, if you'll repent of yourself. If you'll deflate self and you'll repent of your sin, and you'll trust Jesus to save you, you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved, and we'll be brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Church, if you want to be nice, step up to the plate and share the truth of the gospel with sinners. That's the message that Philip was sharing with Simon. But Simon's inflated view of himself kept him from... Being truly saved. Not only did Simon have this inflated view of himself, but here's the second problem. He had an incorrect view of salvation. And this is also plaguing our world today. People aren't coming to faith in Christ today because of their inflated view of themselves and because they have an incorrect view of salvation. I want to offer you three clarifying statements about salvation today. Note takers, that's your cue. Get ready. You can Facebook it and tweet it and post it, whatever you got to do, share it, because we want people to have a correct view of salvation. So let's make sure, here's some clarifying statements, let's make sure people understand what we're talking about here. First one is this, salvation cannot be earned by what you do. Salvation cannot be earned by what you do. Verse 13, then Simon himself believed, but that's not a saving faith. We come to kind of connect the dots and see that about Simon. It's the same kind of faith, perhaps, that demons have. Demons believe. James tells us that. Not only did Simon believe, but verse 13 says he was baptized. And he follows Philip wherever he goes. And he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. But as I was pointing out as we read this, Simon's motivation was not for Jesus. It wasn't for holiness. It wasn't for God's glory. It wasn't for salvation. He wanted to be where the action was. He wanted to keep his business interests alive and, and going. He wanted to hang on to the influence that he had had over these people for so long. Just because he said the right things, that did not make him saved. Just because he got baptized. Some people today believe baptism saves you. Read Acts 8. It does not save you. Just because he got baptized didn't make him saved. Just because he followed Philip wherever he went, that didn't make him saved. Salvation is not earned by anything that we do. No amount of religious involvement, no amount of good living is going to make any sinner ever right with God. 
Clarifying statement one, salvation cannot be earned by what you do. Clarifying statement number two, salvation cannot be bought with what you have. Cannot be bought with what you have. Look at verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy their power. See, Simon, he wasn't seeing these men as brothers in Christ. He saw them as competitors in the market. And he wanted a piece of this new magic, this new sorcery. But look, God cannot be bought. The Spirit of God cannot be bought. Miracles cannot be bought. Salvation cannot be bought. God offers salvation freely to all who would believe. It's by grace that we're saved. Not of works, not of wealth. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All right, what have we said so far? Incorrect view of salvation. That's a barrier to people coming to know Jesus. Clarifying statement number one, salvation can't be earned by what you do. Number two, salvation can't be bought with what you have. Number three, salvation can't be given because of who you know. Salvation can't be given because of who you know. Look at verse 20. Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you your evil thoughts. He's saying, It's not too late, dude. You can repent. You can deflate self. You can turn and believe in the grace of God. Peter says, You need to do that because I see that you're full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. You're not free yet, but freedom's available. And look at Simon's response. Well, then you pray the Lord for me. That these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. Simon wasn't interested in being saved. He just didn't want consequences of his sin. His ego was too big for that. So he's saying to Peter, Peter, you pray for me. You, you, you pray for me so I don't have to suffer because of anything that I've done. In other words, he's wanting to ride into a relationship with God on the coattails of Peter. But salvation does not come because of who you know. Nobody in this world can get you on God's good side. You can't be right with God through any other human being. Not your daddy, I don't care what he did in church, or your mama, your preacher. Your teacher, your friends, it does not matter who they are or what great things they might have done for God and for His glory. You cannot ride their coattails into heaven. They can't make you right with God. Only Jesus can do that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father Except through me. He alone can do that. And until you believe and surrender your life to him, you're going to remain lost in your sin. And you can't work your way out of that. You can't buy your way out of that. You can't ride anybody's coattails out of that. Ask Simon. Listen to what Simon says. See, if we could bring Simon back here today, what would Simon say? Here's what I think Simon would say. Admit it. 
he would say, admit to God. Simon would say, admit to God that you are a sinner. That you are broken. And that you are in need of a Savior. I think Simon would say, believe that Jesus is the only way. Believe that he is the Son of God who died for your sin at the cross, who God raised from the dead. And I think Simon would say, confess him as your Savior and your Lord. In other words, surrender your life fully to him. It's not about following Philip. It's about following Jesus. It's not about following your church. It's about following Jesus. It's not about following your preacher. It's about following Jesus. It's not about following mom and daddy and them. It's about following Jesus. These are the things that I think Simon would say if he was here today. What do you say? I think Simon would say what Jesus said. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. What does that mean? It means not only am I denying myself, but I'm dying to myself every day. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Are you doing that? As you look back over last week, in the rearview mirror now, we say, by God's grace, I followed Jesus last week. Here's the thing. If you didn't, here's good news. It's Resurrection Sunday. We get to start over today. Amen? Let's pray. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, can I just ask you this morning, are you truly, truly, a disciple of Jesus today? Not, not, not a phony like Simon who's just kind of outwardly said and done the right things. Are you truly a disciple of Jesus today? Are you denying yourself or inflating yourself? Are you taking up your cross? Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ and yet I live but it's not I it's Christ who lives in me will you follow Jesus today are you willing in this hard season that we find ourselves in in the 21st century are you willing do you desire to be an ordinary Joe Jesus an ordinary Joe that shares and shows the gospel of Jesus wherever you go so that men and women and boys and girls are filled with joy so households are filled with joy and neighborhoods and communities and cities so the corners of the earth are filled with the joy of the Lord would you be a Joe like that today? Taking Jesus for the joy of other people. That we might all join together as one body, one church, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ.
lot of people in Samaria, they quit playing, Simon says. They quit listening to Simon. Started listening to Jesus. Today, what voice do you need to turn off so that you can better hear the voice of Jesus? Man, the noise is loud right now. I know it is in my heart and my mind. Who's been the Simon in your life? Would you say today, I'm not playing that anymore? I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Christ. Christ alone. Let's stand, church. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and refresh us today and renew a right spirit in us today and return to us the joy of our salvation today. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. Let's worship Him, church.